Welcome to EM Guidewire, brought to you by the Emergency Medicine Residents and Faculty at Carolina's Medical Center in Charlotte, North Carolina. Drama Talks! Welcome everybody to another great installment of EM Guidewire and the inaugural episode of Drama Talks! Your one-stop shop for all things trauma and emergency medicine. We're your hosts... Blake Bauer and Chris Gardner, and boy, have we got an action-packed show for you today. Chris, do you know what I hate? What's that, Blake? I hate letting a broken bone out of the ED without catching it. Agreed, Blake. That is the worst. Good thing that's the topic of today's discussion. That's right, Guidewire Nation. Today we are talking about occult fractures. Ooh. Whoa, Blake, are we talking witchcraft and wizardry over here? Negative, young Padawan, but missing these injuries can be pretty spooky. We are talking about the occult fractures that are commonly missed in the emergency department, how to identify them, and what to do about them. Spooky indeed, Blake. Not only do these injuries result in increased pain, morbidity, and functional impairment for our patients, there are some serious medical legal implications on our end as providers as well. Yeah, and that's exactly right, Chris. Missed ortho injuries account for about 8% of all litigated cases uh, arising out of emergency department care. Uh, And that review just looks at all-cause visits and doesn't specify who was necessarily implicated. It could have been a specialist versus an ED physician. When you're solely evaluating for EM physicians and they're analyzed, it's closer to about 19%, uh, with the vast majority of cases attributed to improper proper plain film ordering or really just misinterpretation. Regardless of its legal implication, let's be real, no one wants to miss the patient's injury. But let's get down to it. Which injuries are missed and what can we do to not miss them? Uh, good point, Chris. Uh, why don't we split it up? Let's uh, start with the lower extremity. Let's do it. All right. Well, the foot is kind of just asking for us to miss some injuries. Remember that one week of anatomy uh, when you were a first year med student when we discussed uh, the foot anatomy and pathology? Ah, I'm going to be honest, Blake, not quite. Yeah, me either, which is why we must be vigilant. Take, for example, a Liz Frank injury. This has often been misnomered as a Liz Frank fracture, which can inappropriately reassure a provider who looks at their plain films, sees no cortical defect, and thinks to themselves, hashtag dispo. But as my good friend Lee Corso says, not so fast. That's right, Blake, because a Liz Frank injury is a midfoot instability plus or minus actual fracture. Typically, is a large axial load on a hyperplantar flex foot, such as a linebacker falling onto a running back mid-sprint, or extreme force through the midfoot, like a brake pedal during a motor vehicle collision. Yeah, and the pain associated with the injury usually isn't subtle, uh, but the mechanism should be respected when you don't necessarily see the abnormality on a plain film. What subtle findings should we be looking for, Chris? So alignment here is what's key. On a regular AP projection of the foot, the medial aspect of the second metatarsal should trace a smooth line with the medial aspect of the medial cuneiform. And on the oblique view, the medial aspect of the third metatarsal should align with the medial aspect of the middle cuneiform. And the medial of the fourth metatarsal should align with the medial aspect of the lateral cuneiform. Chris, this is, this is a podcast. What are we doing? That's a good point, Blake. We are going to be sure to upload some pictures to the show notes to clarify, so please see those show notes to see exactly what we're talking about here. But in short, the metatarsals should basically line up with their respective cuneiforms. But some extra views other than the AP view and the oblique view can really help clarify what's going on here. Yeah, for sure. Adding a lateral view uh, and then weight-bearing films can be really helpful when your suspicion is heightened, but you just aren't seeing the injury. Uh, a lateral can show some dorsal 
displacement of the metatarsals that otherwise, when you looked at it on an AP projection, looked like they were in, in line. Um, but really important is the weight-bearing film. So having the patient stand with both feet on the plate uh, on the ground and then fire an AP film from above, it'll show any joint laxity compared to the contralateral foot, as well as to any uh, prior non-weight-bearing AP films that you may have obtained at the foot. Gotcha. So convince that patient to bear some weight and get some get some shots of that weight-bearing film. And I think one of the big things that ortho folks talk to me about is getting that contralateral foot for comparison, especially when you're trying to draw all your lines and line everything up. Yeah, getting patient to bear the weight on this list, Frank, is going to be hilarious. Yeah, good luck. So let's move on. The uh, calcaneus is a, another bone where uh, fractures are commonly missed. It's, it's oddly shaped. It has some overlying bone projections kind of on the front part of it. Uh, when do we typically see these calcaneal fractures, Chris? Well, I'm sure everyone remembers the lover's fracture <laughs> where some philanderer jumps out of a window and earns himself some bilateral calc fractures. <laughs> yeah, that uh, brings up a good point. Many uh, calcaneal fractures are really from just major axial load, such as a fall from significant height <laughs> for whatever reason you can think of, <laughs> but also can be from just chronic stress or actual uh, torsional ankle injuries where you wouldn't think you would be hurting your calcaneal. With a fall from height, axial load etiology, we typically see or oftentimes miss posterior facet compression fractures where the talus actually crushes down on the posterior facet. This is where that bowler's angle comes into play. Yeah, so by definition, bowler's angle is created by drawing an imaginary line from the anterior facet through the posterior facet and tracing that out into an imaginary space and then assessing that angle between this line and another imaginary line that you draw draw down from the posterior facet to the Achilles insertion. Uh, And this should be somewhere between 20 to 40 degrees. And again, listeners, if your head is exploding right now, do not worry check the show notes out for that picture of that bowler's angle. Uh, but in general, those three points create a relatively flat or shallow triangle as is normally. But if it's flattened even further, there is a suggestion of a subtle fracture. So be sure to get a good lateral film of the foot. Yeah, and with stress fractures of the calcaneus, the etiology is similar, but in smaller axial loads over time that can kind of lead to subtle fractures within the body of the calcaneus itself and not so much in the joint space or the joint facet. For these, I really can't think of any tricks, honestly. You kind of really just need a diligent eye looking over the the plane films and and a good story. Yeah, Blake, some of these guys are obvious hyperdense irregularities within the calcaneus, but others kind of look like they're supposed to be there. So here's where it gets important, as radiologists always say, to correlate clinically. Is this a granny (laughs) who stands up twice a day to move the toilet, or is this someone who's finished the Boston Marathon? Yeah, exactly. And Chris, that just leaves the anterior process fracture of the calcaneus that is really easily missed. This fracture is usually an avulsion fracture that occurs when there is an inversion plantar flexion injury of the ankle. The bifurcate ligament actually attaches to the anterior process, the calcaneus, to the midfoot, and will pull a chip of the anterior process right off with a significant enough injury. And this is commonly missed, usually due to the mechanism not really raising suspicion for us to look at the calcaneus. You think, oh, this person twisted their ankle, so they're going to take a look at some ankle films. But it's also confounded by the fact that the anterior process on lateral films is sometimes difficult to visualize because there's a lot of overlying bony anatomy that can obscure the, the midfoot. So once again, the key is knowing where to look based on the mechanism. No fancy imaging or imaginary lines to draw like the bowler's angle. Yes, sir. All right, so let's wrap up these foot injuries. With the Lisfranc injury, treatment is ultimately surgical if there is any displacement on weight-bearing films or any fracture component. 
with the stress fractures and anterior process fractures, cast immobilization with non-weight bearing, while the posterior facet fracture, this is an intraarticular injury and will also require surgical repair. And these are all great to know because, you know, we want to inform our patients about what to expect. But let's be real, in the emergency department, when we find these injuries, they are not open. It's going to be non-weight bearing, splinted up, follow up with orthopedic service. Oh, and don't forget, fall from height, calc fracture, be sure to check the spine as well. Oh yeah, I can't forget that tidbit. Exactly. But let's move on to the ankle. These fractures are hard to miss, right? Absolutely. Most of these fractures are really obvious, really difficult to miss. So let's talk about an injury complex involving the ankle that's frequently missed, and that's the Maisonneuve fracture. Ah, yes, the Maisonneuve. (laughs) We always talk about the Italian fracture complexes in the forearm, but this bad boy is the French complex in the lower leg. In general, it consists of a proximal fibular fracture in the setting of an unstable ankle, usually coming from a torsional lower leg or ankle injury. Could you expand a little on what constitutes an unstable ankle? I feel like that term gets tossed around all the time. Right you are, Blake, for sure. So in general, the ligaments connecting the fibula and the tibia to the talus, as well as the syndesmosis between them, are what hold the joint and stabilize it. If you have an isolated lateral malfracture without injury to the syndesmosis or medial ankle, the joint remains stable. But if you have a deltoid ligament or medial malleolus fracture plus a syndesmosis injury, you've knocked out two of the three stabilizing elements and the joint is unstable. Okay, so in a Maisonneuve, there is the proximal fibula fracture, but also an unstable ankle. And usually that's represented by some sort of syndesmosis injury where you had a transmission of force throughout the lower leg in a twisting fashion that kind of tears apart the tibia and fibula, as well as a medial malleolus fracture or even sometimes just a, a, a ligament tear of the deltoid ligament. Just a tear. So you're saying there doesn't necessarily have to be a fracture in the ankle? Uh, yeah, Chris. And interesting enough, we caught one of these just the other day that the radiologist had missed. The patient was point tender on the fibular head and had ankle pain. Uh, the plain film showed the, the fibular fracture and a widened syndesmosis, but otherwise the ankle looked fine. There were no medial or lateral malleolus fractures, and the medial clear space looked great as well. But after ordering some stress films on the ankle because of the described mechanism, and recently having come up with the topic for this discussion, uh, we discovered that the medial clear space was widened significantly, suggesting that there was a, a deltoid ligament injury, and boom, Maisonneuve. Boom. And this is why it's so important to catch because it's actually extremely unstable, suggesting an intraosseous membrane injury throughout the lower leg. In the emergency department, this can be short leg splinted and ortho follow up but the ankle will definitely need surgical stabilization. Uh, And so the reason this is usually missed, it's the provider not obtaining a lower leg film when the patient's really just complaining of ankle pain because the fibular fracture itself isn't actually always noted clinically by the patient's perception. While the fibular fracture itself doesn't usually need stabilizing, I mean, we're really only using a short leg splint to stabilize this fracture. If found, it can really set off your alarm bells to say, hmm, this must have been a high enough mechanism to where I really need to take a closer look at this ankle and see how stable it is, especially if it doesn't really look terrible originally like the lady we saw. Right, so remember, always look above and below the area of interest. With that ankle pain, carrier imaging up through the lower leg and down through the foot. Yeah, and with uh, talking about proximal fibula fracture, we're getting close to the knee, where once again, most fractures are pretty obvious. Uh, But every now and then, we as providers let a tibial plateau fracture slip through our fingers, and we can't have that happen, can we, Chris? Oh, no, sir, we cannot. So what kind of clues can we look for in knee imaging to suggest there might be a subtle tibial plateau fracture we're just not seeing. 
Well, one subtle trick that can help if it's positive is to draw some imaginary lines like we did for the bowler's angle. We love these lines, don't we? <laughs> we do. If you trace an imaginary line down the edge of the lateral condyle and continue it down to the medial aspect of the fibula, you should have drawn a line through a small section of the tibia. If this sticks out more than five millimeters on a true AP, this is suggestive of a subtle tibial plateau fracture. Yeah, Chris, but this trick is not 100% reliable. You really need to be uh, confident in the true AP-ness of your image. <laughs> and also consider that this isn't really a validated finding with significant data behind it. But the idea is kind of what's most important. A subtle fracture of the tibial plateau uh, with no real identifiable fracture line on plain film may only really be recognized by an abnormal lateralization of the tibial plateau itself. Well, Blake, you can always call in the FBI to help strengthen your case when radiology hedges. And if by FBI you mean the fat blood interface, then you're exactly right, Chris. Ah, uh, yes, of course, the fat blood interface. This is a radiologic finding of the lipohemarthrosis when a lateral knee is obtained while the patient is supine. Fat, being less dense than water, aka blood, will displace anteriorly on a supine lateral of the knee showing a hypodense collection above a slightly more dense collection in the suprapatellar space. This is highly suggestive of a subtle distal femur fracture and more often a tibial plateau fracture. And the treatment for this is going to be a hinged brace with a crutch provided so that the patient's really only partial weight bearing on this leg. Uh, in the acute setting of injury, our range of motion exam is likely going to be limited since their knee is obviously probably hurting them in this scenario. Uh, so orthopedic follow-up is important to evaluate for appropriate range of motion, functionality, uh, and possible need for surgical intervention. And Blake, that brings us to the femur or the femoral neck, really. Yeah, if you miss a mid-chef femoral fracture, uh, it's because you didn't take a picture of the patient's femur because that is not subtle. Nuh-uh. But a femoral neck fracture actually can be, and a patient's inability to bear weight or ambulate after a negative plane film should clue you in to look a little bit closer. And by look closer, I mean we have a few options. Yeah, and I think the most conservative and cost-effective way to evaluate this is additional plane films. So you have your your AP and your lateral of the hip adding on something like Jude films, which are typically used in the setting of trauma to further clarify uh, the acetabulum to evaluate for acetabular fractures. But these can actually give you great additional angles to which you can evaluate the femoral neck. Ah, uh, yes, our ortho colleagues love the, the Jude films. But let's be real, Blake. In this person where plain films didn't reveal a fracture, but we're still concerned, we're going to buzz them. They're going in the donut of truth. They're going in the donut of truth, that's for sure. Yeah, more than likely. But I still think plain films are a nice tool to have in your toolbox for when that CT scanner is backed up for the ever-elongating last known normal that we have for our code strokes these days. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> there, uh, there used to be an argument that MRI was the gold standard for these occult femoral neck fractures with the CT originally reported as missing about a third of uh, fractures that were actually present. But the times, they are a changing in that regard. Yeah, and with the advancements in CT since the time when those studies are done, our slices are getting so thin and our resolution is so crisp to where providers can rely on the CT way more easily. Yeah, especially from a disposition standpoint, right? If granny can't walk and a CT shows a fracture, she's coming into the hospital. If granny can't walk, and she could before the incident, and the CT doesn't necessarily show a fracture, granny still can't walk, she's going to be coming into the hospital. So adding on an MRI can be done within the hospital if the hospitalist and orthopod really don't trust the, the CT evaluation. 
And you're bringing up a good point, Blake. Missed occult femoral neck fractures really won't change the disposition of home versus admit in these patients, but the morbidity associated with a missed fracture can be catastrophic. A previously non-displaced small fracture that is not recognized can subsequently worsen and displace, or the fracture line could have interrupted the blood supply, leading to a potential avascular necrosis. So these people are coming into the hospital, and, and management is either going to consist of pinning for stabilization or hemiarthroplasty, and that really just depends uh, on the kind of comorbidities and functional status of the patient. That's kind of discussion to be had uh, with your orthopedic colleagues. Awesome. I think that about nails down all of our points for the lower extremity, Blake. You want to sum it up here real quick? Sure. Yeah. So uh, starting with the foot, the Lisfranc complex does not always need to be a fracture. If the, the story is good and the patient has some pain, weight-bearing films, being taking a close look at the oblique projections and the AP projections are really important to evaluate for any subtle ligamentous injury, which is, is just as damaging as the uh, fracture complex. With the calcaneus, uh, we have multiple tricks at our disposal, including bowler's angles, so be sure to check out our, our show notes to see kind of what we're talking about on how to draw those lines. But also, once again, correlating clinically, did this person just jump from a height and we expect a, a subtle posterior facet fracture or are they a long-term runner? Should we really scrutinize the body of that calcaneus for some stress fractures within? Or be sure to remember the calcaneus when someone has a torsional ankle injury and they may have avulsed the anterior process of that calcaneus. And then you have the, the Masonu fracture complex in the ankle, which is really just reminding us to necessarily, if you don't see a, a fracture in the ankle itself, but you have a fracture in that proximal fibula, that torsional injury to your lower leg might have been significant enough to damage the stability of the ankle joint, and you should get some stress films to evaluate for the appropriateness of that ankle. All right, so for the knee, we talked about uh, that imaginary line we can draw on an AP film that if it sticks out more than five millimeters uh, on a true AP, this might be suggestive of a tibial plateau fracture. But what you really want to look at here is on your lateral knee film, looking at that FBI, that fat blood interface. So if you do see uh, an interface here, this is suggestive of a distal femur fracture or more often that tibial plateau fracture. And that brings us back up to the femoral neck because we can just skip over that femoral shaft. You guys are not going to miss these fractures. I hope not. Femoral neck, you can always have these extra plane films in your back pocket. You can do some Jude films like the, the trauma service and orthopedic, orthopedic service like to do for uh, the acetabulum. Or realistically, like we're going to do, go to the CT scanner and, buzz, evaluate, buzz. <laughs> and evaluate for uh, any occult fracture that may not have been noticed on plain film imaging, but ultimately disposition for these patients is into the hospital. Well, folks, that brings us to the conclusion of our inaugural show for this segment on occult fractures, lower extremity edition. Tune in next time for the upper extremity. I'm Chris. And I'm Blake. And this is Trauma Talks. Trauma Talks. Thanks for listening to EM Guidewire. Go. Be awesome today. CMC out.